Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. God is, uh, God is at work doing incredible, incredible things. And um, some of you are probably wondering what, what these are about. And I, I'm going to tell you. Um, here's what uh, I'm hoping to, that God will do today. I started to say to accomplish. I, I know that I don't accomplish anything uh, when it comes to something that's eternal and lasting. But the Lord has uh, kind of put on my heart this morning for us to think about a personal God is going to be a God who is near his people. There's no way to be personal and intimate without being near us. And so we're going to be looking out of Psalm 16. I'm going to ask you to get your worksheets out if you would. Your listening guys, whatever you want to call them. And the first verse at the top of the page there is from Psalm 16. And verse 8 uh, says this and it's an incredible just an incredible anchor and I, I just hope and pray that it will become an anchor for you it says the psalmist writes I have set the Lord before me at all times I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand I've set him before him and because he's at my right hand I'll not be shaken I'll have a, I'll have a life that, that can't be shaken and so here's what I want to do this morning I, I want you, from time to time, your eyes are going to gaze up here and you're going to be captured by God, by his name. It's going to show up randomly in our slides. And my prayer is, is that as that happens, as you connect back to God, that as your eyes are drawn back, that your mind would focus on him. Not on me. I, I think most of you can multitask and kind of listen and kind of reframe thoughts at the same time. But I want your focus to be on God because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has promised he's with you. He, he, is, he is in you. And as we just kind of walk through this, I, here's what I want you to be asking God as, as God himself becomes present in your mind. Father, is there anything that you want me to hear from you today? God, is there, is there anything that you want to, to say to me? See, the, the scriptures tell us that God's presence often surprises his own people. That oftentimes God's presence just really blows his people away. Like they didn't see it coming. They didn't see him there. Some of you recall uh, several years back there was a, a series of kids books that got released. And there was this kind of goofy looking character. Uh, kind of sometimes would wear a hat and had glasses and a striped shirt on. And he showed up on every page. Anybody remember that book series? Yeah, Waldo. What was the big question on every page in that book? Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? And the whole deal with the book was that the more time you would spend in the book, the sharper you would come at having... Uh, you know, superpower abilities to spot Waldo quickly. You know, that was, let, let, me, let me give you a test, okay? Where's Waldo? Do you see him? Can you find Waldo? Have you found him yet? See what your Waldo finding skills are like? Okay, give him some help. Waldo's right there hiding behind that little banner. He's sticking out. That's Waldo. Now, the more time that you spend seeking Walto, the more apt you are become someone who can, can find him. 
It, it, it sharpens your skills as you look for him. He was always present there, although you didn't always know it. Sometimes he would show up in, in places that surprised you, just kind of blew you away. But it's something that over time, you begin to learn to recognize his presence. Last Sunday, uh, here at River Bluff, God showed up in a, in a pretty cool way. Um, our cars ministry team, Gary, I'm going to ask you to start making your way down here. Our cars ministry team uh, gave, a, I'm going to let you get your own chair this time. Okay. Come on, bring your own chair up here. <laughs> this is Gary Weiss. Uh, not only is Gary the uh, facilities minister, manager around here, uh, Gary also leads our cars ministry team. And, and last Sunday, which is not an unusual thing, they gave away a car. And there's some pictures that are going to come up uh, about that giveaway. And um, because of the blessings that so many of you, you know, donating gently, gently used cars. Can we gently call them? Used gently used cars. Um, our team puts them together, repairs them, loves on them, and then gives them to single moms. And this team's been able to do that lots of times. And so, uh, Gary, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, I mean, normally when at a giveaway like that, you can kind of expect some things are going to happen. There's probably going to be some joy, sure. maybe some tears of joy. Sure. From the single you know, mom. Sure, from the single, single mom, yes. People giving you thanks. A lot of times kids running around. Yes. And you guys make lots of new little friends. Yes. Yeah. And so all that happened last Sunday. A whole lot more kids last Sunday because of the way we partnered with Michelle and, and the children's department. River Kids, uh, for those of you that don't know, River Kids is what we call a children's ministry. And um, Michelle Whitman, who's our team leader, is devoted to the idea, the, the, the conviction, I'll say, that your kids are not training to be ministers, that they are already. That, you know, that they, they can actually make a difference in changing the world through the power of, of the gospel. And so she works to set them in different ministries and partner them in different ministries. And so last Sunday, not only were they involved in the giveaway, but they actually went out to the very special place where God blesses cars. Um, that's what we'll call it. The very special place where God blesses cars. And they got to ask you guys questions on the cars team. And wh what was that like for y'all? There was, it was cool, actually, because um, I mean, these guys are 10 and under, I, I'm assuming. And so um, they're asking questions, and we're answering questions and that kind of stuff. And then this one just um, blew me away. He wanted to ask me a question. He says, do y'all take donations? Um, do y'all take monetary donations? I said, sure. So he reaches in his pocket, and he just pulls out some money. And I, I look at Michelle, and she grabs the money, and then she hands it to me. And so I'm just hung on to it. I didn't realize how much it was. And so um, the kids were asking questions. I was just blown away by this 10-year-old who reached in his pocket and just pulled out some money. Obviously wasn't expecting that at all. So that was... Later on, you had a chance to talk to his parents. What did you find out about that money? What I found out about the money was, first of all, uh, it was his birthday money. Um, and so I, I went to his mom and dad just to make sure that they were okay with him giving the money. Right. And so they were say sure because they had talked about it over the weekend or whatever about something he was going to bless somebody or something with with that money and that so that was his how much was it, it was forty four dollars forty four dollars at ten years old I would have never given praise the Lord Absolutely. I would have never give, given forty four dollars give thanks to God uh, yeah Gary and I talked about that a little bit our staff did Monday when Gary shared the story and I don't think all of us tried to be as honest as we could and, and none of us were able to say mm -hmm. yeah that's what I'd have done with my forty four dollars no no <laughs> no it'd have been I mean mine kind of moment yeah that, that was God, God surprised you didn't he <laughs> very much so and, and there was another one and then on the way back in I was still 
in awe of, of this 10-year-old. And on the way back in, here we go with a seven-year-old. Um, he comes up to me and, and kind of taps me on my leg and just a little guy. And he goes, do y'all have to do math? do math problems. And I said, yeah, we have to do some math sometimes, adding in that. And he said, well, do you ever make mistakes? I said, buddy, I make mistakes all the time. So he, he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out this little bear. And he says, here, we'll take this. And he says, if you ever make mistakes, you can use this to erase them. I was, I was speechless. I mean, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, I was speechless. Yeah. And that's sometimes not hard for me to do. <laughs> anyway, I was, I was speechless. Yeah, those of you who know Gary, I was speechless. that's a big so, deal. Yeah. That's a big deal. Well, we, thank you for coming and sharing with us about that and just the way that God showed up in a surprising way. It's cool stuff. Amen. Yeah. That, you know, this, this reality that our God is at work around us all the time. And one of the themes of Scripture really points to, to this truth that God shows up and will show up in, in very, very unexpected ways. He'll surprise you with his presence and his beauty. Uh, that happened to me this Tuesday. Um, can, I, can I show you my blessing? Yay! That's my little granddaughter. That's Elliot Jane Housen. And, uh, and God blessed us with her Tuesday, and so we're very, very grateful. You can go back to the God slide now. Um, I, didn't, I didn't bring others, but I have others if you care. No. The, uh, yeah, God, God shows up in beauty and wonder and awe, seeking to bless us. And um, here, here's what I want to do to kind of start our time together off a little more. And I don't normally give anybody this opportunity. Matter of fact, I usually discourage this. But for just a moment, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to put yourself in the place of God for a moment. I, I know you, you, a lot of us spend a lot of time doing that, you know, uh, thinking that we're God. But I, I, I'm giving you permission. I want you to kind of put yourself in God's place for a moment. And here's the question, ask God, that I want you to ask yourself. Why? Why do you go through all the pain? Why did you go through all the sorrow and suffering that you continue to go through for the human race? Why, why, why do you do that? If you asked it another way, maybe the way that you would better frame it would be to ask, what does God get out of it? What does God get out of the relationship with, with human beings? And I want us to kind of press into that today. And to do that, we, we need to do a, a, a little bit of a review of, of some of the Old Testament. Now, um, there are, in this book, now this, this, is, uh, this is my, what's called my Spiritual Formation Bible. Um, there's a, a team of writers that, uh, and editors that edit, edited this particular translation. And they've, they've put some helps in this Bible uh, to just help us think about spiritual formation. But in the opening, they're making some some statements about God's Word and this is what they write about the Bible. They say this, the Bible is all about God and human life with God. It's about how God has made the with God life possible and God will bring it to pass. That's the editors of the team that put together the, the spiritual formation Bible. One of the things that we see all throughout the scripture is this development of life with God here on earth. 
And it really gets focused in the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, the Bible tells us that God created a human being, named him Adam. He planted a garden, he put Adam in the garden, and he told Adam, here's your job. And I'm going to be with you. And Adam, your job, first job that I want you to do, I want you to name all the animals. And so Adam starts naming the animals. And see, when Adam was naming it, when Adam was working, God was with him. And you can just kind of see God there saying, you know, Adam naming animals and God saying, that's a good name, Adam. Lion, I like that. And you can see, you know, it goes on and God's, God looking at Adam like you would a child that you love. And you'd say, Adam, you're a good namer. You name things real good there, Adam. You know, you could just, you could see that relationship with God, that gentleness, that love. And because everything that God is doing, he's with Adam. Now, some people have this idea that what happens there was that, you know, like at night, God would go home, maybe come back the next day for a little bit, but go do God things. That's not true. The Bible teaches us that God is omnipresent, so God was always present with Adam. When Adam was working, God was there with him. When Adam was naming animals, God was there with him. When, when, when God created Eve and Adam was there, he went, whoa, dude, you know, this is good stuff. They, 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 were, they were in fellowship together. They, they were in a friendship together. They, they, they loved one another. They were, they were with one another. Until the sin, until Adam and Eve chose to sin. You know, the Bible tells us that after they sinned, that God came looking for them. There seemed to be this kind of normal rhythm in their day when, when they would walk with God in the cool of the day is the way the scriptures describe it. And they, God shows up and Adam and Eve aren't there at the appointed time. And God, knowing where they are, cries out to them. Adam, where are you? And then Adam says something incredible. He says, God, I heard your voice, but I was afraid, so I hid. Another way of looking at that was God, Adam was saying to God, I don't, I don't want to be with you. God, right now, I, I don't, I don't want to be with you. Now, if you don't if you don't know this about God, that broke his heart. If you, if, you, if you misunderstand who God is, you're going to miss the fact that in that moment, God's heart was broken because of his great love for Adam and for Eve. But God doesn't give up. God, God was determined he was going to be with his people. And so he made the decision that he would be with Adam and Eve's descendants. He would work with them. And along the way, some of them got it. One of their descendants was a man named Enoch. And the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God. That's one of the ways that you know as you're going through the scripture that somebody got it. There's often that phrase, they were with God. Or God was with them. Or they walked with God. We get to Noah. Some of us know more about Noah and the flood. And God was going to flood the earth and, and God looked at Noah. And the Bible says that Noah walked with God. Every once in a while, somebody would get it. God would see them and, and, th and they would get it. But here's the truth. Most people hid. Most people hid from God. But God just kept wanting to be with them. One day... God makes this decision. He says, I'm going to create a nation, a special group of people. I'm going to do incredible things through them. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to, I'm going to use all kinds of object lessons and, and, and tools and teachings so that the whole world will see how much I want to be with them. 
And again, the Bible says that God looked and he saw a man named Abraham and that Abraham walked with God. And then it tells us that one of his sons, Isaac, walked with God, that God was with him. And then the Bible tells us about his son, Jacob, how God was with him. And sometimes God would be with these people in ways that were so surprising, they didn't know God was there at first. We're told about Jacob, that one night, Jacob had, he had been running from his brother Esau. They had been at odds for about 20 years because he had cheated his brother. He had literally robbed him of his birthright and his inheritance. He had deceived his father. And he's constantly on the run because Esau had threatened to kill him. And so he's running from his brother. And one night, Genesis 28 records this, he's out in the middle of a field, never expected uh, what, what would happen next. But while he's there, the Bible tells us that he has a dream. And on this dream, he sees a ladder coming out of heaven. Angels walking up and down the ladder, coming back and forth through there. And then God shows up. And God's at the top of the ladder. And Genesis 28 tells him, God tells Jacob, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And Jacob's mind is blown away. And he has this incredible response. This is what he says. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. I, I didn't know it. I didn't expect God to show up here in a field. But now I, I see that God is here. His, his presence has intersected with my brokenness, with my deceitful life, and he's, he's here with me. D Jacob had not yet developed the skill of seeing God near him, even though God was very present. But that moment began a new journey for Jacob. And he began seeking God. He named that place where this had occurred Bethel, the house of God, because he, he saw this as the gateway to heaven. This is, this is the place where God interacts with his people, even in their brokenness. And right there in that moment, Jacob was changed. He was changed. He was transformed. It was a transformative moment for him, a defining moment. And he makes the decision, I am going to reconcile with my brother. And so he makes arrangements to do that. And after many years of separation and hatred, after being distant, he sees Esau coming to this appointed meeting. He starts to get afraid and then Esau starts running at him. And the Bible tells us that Esau throws his arms around Jacob's neck. He embraces him and they weep together. There's this just incredible, beautiful moment. And then God's word says something incredible in Genesis 33. J Jacob speaks these words and he says them to his brother Esau. He says, I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. Because you've accepted me. Now God is showing up in the strangest of places. God is showing up in what may seem like an ordinary moment. You see, now God, God's showing up in the face of those, this relative that you can't stand, that you hope doesn't show up at Thanksgiving dinner. You know? He's showing up in the face of your mortal enemy of over 20 years. He's showing up in, in the face of one that you had cheated. It's the strangest thing. And God keeps doing this. Later, one of Jacob's sons named Joseph. The Bible tells us that God was with him in, in some horrible places. The Bible tells us that Joseph got sold into slavery. And it tells us in Genesis chapter 39 verse 2, the Lord was with him. And then he gets falsely accused. It's kind of a, a false hashtag me too moment. Joseph is falsely accused and his master throws him in prison. 
So false accusation. And in verse 20 it tells us that Joseph's master put him in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord gave Joseph favor with the head of the prison. Later on in the Bible, Joseph's descendants end up in slavery, enslaved in Egypt. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 13 that God came to be with them. And he came in the form of a cloud by day and a, a, a ball of fire by night. And you can read about that in Exodus 13. It was like God kept saying, I'm going to be with you. Whether it's in a garden, whether it's in slavery, whether it's in a prison, whether, you know, it's in, in, in captivity, whether it's in the wilderness, whether it's in the promised land. I just want to be with you. Over and over, that's the message in God's word. God's servant Moses comes to believe that so deeply and, and, and enjoy that kind of relationship with God so intimately that there comes a moment in time after God has given the Ten Commandments to the people because of their rebellion, God, God goes to Moses and he says, you can go now, you can take them in the promised land, I'm not going. And Moses says, no. He says, don't send us if you're not going to be there. He says, God, I would rather rot out here in the wilderness, wandering around, no resources, people angry at me all the time. I would rather live that way with you than to go to the promised land where everything may seem perfect and you not be there. Moses said, I don't want life without you, God. I, I, I want to be with you. And on and on throughout the Bible, this theme runs, just continues to run. Until one day, because so many people keep hiding from God, God says, I'm going down there. You can kind of see the angels, you know, kind of look at one another when God announces that and say, can he do that? Can, can he just go down there? And most of you know the story that in the darkness of night, under the cover of night, God shows up in a little obscure, obscure village, a little town called Bethlehem. He comes as this baby Jesus. And the Bible in, in Matthew tells us that he has a very special name. He's given this name by God. It's the name Emmanuel. Which literally means God with us. Dallas Willard goes on with that name to, to make this statement about this idea of the with life God or, or the with God life. He says this, he says that's the Emmanuel principle and that the Emmanuel principle is in the Bible from beginning to end. That God is with us. That God desires for your life to be a place where he always exists. Where he's always present, where he's always welcome. Just before Jesus left the earth and was ascended back to heaven to be with God. He said this to his disciples. He said, don't be afraid. For I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. And he sends his spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to come. And what that means is that now, your life, you, me, we can all be Bethel. We can all be the house of God. We can all be the place where God dwells. We can be that because of the Holy Spirit. Whether you think it's possible or not, the Bible says it's true. Because God just wants to be with you. And this desire is just so central to everything that God has done. It's why he created in the first place. Was to, to be with you. And that's what he's been at work doing all throughout history. 
It's so central to the story of God that when you get to the very end of the story that Revelation tells us about, it closes with these words. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's what this whole thing's about. That's what all of life and all of creation, all of the universe is about. Now what I want to do in the last moments that we have remaining is I want to get real concrete with you about what it's like to experience that nearness of God. What exactly does it look like? Because it's a little bit different than just kind of hanging out with one of your friends. It's, it, it's similar in some ways, but it's not as visible. It may not be as tangible. It may not always be audible. So how do you experience the nearness of God? Now, I do believe God can use lots and lots of ways and does. He has in my own life. You know, God can use creation. Some of you connect with God through the beauty of his creation. A sunrise, a sunset. God can use other people who, who he puts in your life to speak words of, uh, over you. Words of edification over you. God can use solitude. God can use silence. God can use his word. God can use art. Sometimes in my life, God uses Krispy Kremes. You know, God, God can use anything to tell you of his beauty and his nearness to you. But always, it needs to register with me that God is near. Always, there needs to be this connection to my inner being, to my mind, that this, this is God. See, the same thing holds true when, when we interact. If you and I sit down having a cup of coffee, interacting. This happened last week with me. I was sitting down with a, a young man and he was telling me about something that was going on in his life. He was basically asking, can you see God at work in this? I said, yeah, I do. I, I see how the Lord could be in this. See, th this happens with us. We, we make human connection and what happens is his life marked mine and my, my life marked his. We were conscious of one another touching each other's lives. And the same is true when God touches our lives. It's one of the great gifts that God has given to human beings is that we have a freedom to focus our attention on whatever we want to. And you and I can focus our attention on God. And again, if this is really kind of baseline for spiritual living, for walking with God, focusing my attention on Him, I think we would all want to get a little better at it. So how do we do that? How do, we, how do we focus our attention on God? How do we do what the psalmist said in Psalm 16 verse 8? How do I always set the Lord before me? How do I keep God's presence at the forefront of my thinking just as, as I'm going through life? Because the Bible says that you can. You can set the Lord always before you. And I want to give you four words, if you would, that are kind of four ways of connecting with the activity of God in your life so that you can see that God is near you in these moments. There are a lot of other ways, but I just want to give you, give you four that I think are strong indicators of the nearness and the activity of God going on in you. The first one is the one that I think is the most common. And it's the reassurance of God. I think the reassurance of God shows that God is near us when God reassures us. You know, you may find yourself in some kind of anxiety producing moment but you'll get just this touch 
of reassurance. And I want to suggest that that's God. This goes on all throughout scripture. One of the, the prominent passages that comes to mind, my mind is Joshua chapter 1. Where God says to Joshua, be strong. Be courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed for the Lord. Your God is with you wherever you go. Whatever you're doing, whatever's taking place, God says, I'm right there. So don't be afraid. And you just kind of get these, these words of, of encouragement that are just going on inside. You know? How many of you have maybe ever been like in a performance evaluation at work? And maybe it's not such a, a great one going down to start with. And, but you get this little, you know, this little nudge that I'm with you. It's going to be okay. That's God coming near. That's God reassuring you. I read some, um, some interesting ones this week. These, are, these supposedly actually exist in some human resource file somewhere. A supervisor actually wrote some of these about an employee they just did an evaluation on. This is one of them. It says, since my last report, this employee has reached rock bottom and started to dig further. Don't want that in my file. Here's another one, kind of sobering. I would, not allow this, I would not allow this employee to breathe. This employee is not so much as a has-been, but more a definite won't be. This was, this was my favorite one. Kind of. This is probably not good that this is my favorite one. This, this employee is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. You know, I, I, I don't want that one said about me, you know. Now, here's, here's why I bring this up. A lot of people, when we think about God, our first thought about God is that God is always sitting in front of us, evaluating our performance. That that's, that's what, that's how we mostly think about God is that God is, that all he wants to do is do a performance review with you and with me. And I want to tell you, it is a great critical misunderstanding with God if you don't come to know that what God wants to do is partner with you. God wants to love you. God wants to be with you. He's devoted to, to, to you and wants you devoted to him. And one of the fundamental ways that you can know he is near you is he will encourage you with reassuring words in moments where you feel alone. When you feel afraid, God will speak words into you. You may be facing some kind of life transition and, and fear may be starting to set in. But you'll hear this voice that says, it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. Folks, I want you to understand that's the voice of God. That is God coming near you. There was a man one day, he was sitting in prison. And he was chained to a Roman jailer. He was actually chained to this soldier. And while he's sitting there in prison, this thought comes to him. I can do this. I can do this. So Paul stops and he writes that down in a letter to his friends at Philippi. We know it as Philippians 5.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the voice of God. When you hear that, you can do this. You're going to make it through this. See, when those thoughts come to your mind, you need to recognize them as the nearness of God. That God is coming near to you. It is the Emmanuel principle being lived out in your life. It's a Jacob ladder moment. Your life is the dwelling place of God. Second word that kind of comes to mind here, that's an inner experience that you can have, that will point to the nearness of God, is guidance. Guidance. 
It will come sometimes when you need it the most. In Psalm 16 verse 7 the psalmist says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. What he's saying is basically I went to bed with a problem and the next morning I got up and God had given it, he had revealed it to me in my sleep. I don't know if you've ever had that happen but it's a miraculous thing and I want to tell you God came near. When that happens and you go to bed tossing and turning not, and you wake up the next morning and it's just there. God came near. God was with you even in your sleep. God will give you guidance. Sometimes you may be in a store or at a restaurant and the cashier or the server is just kind of being beaten down by everybody making all these demands on them and this guidance internally comes to you, bless them. Encourage them. Stop and pray for them. That's the voice of God. That's God giving you guidance of, of what to do next. You know? God, God wants to guide his people. He wants to give you wisdom. In, in James chapter 1, God's word tells us that God gives wisdom in abundance to those who ask. And I just want to challenge you. To consider the possibility when, when, when guidance comes, that's God. That's the Emmanuel principle. Every time that happens, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to dive in. Now, I had a conversation with a couple of people after the first service that said, you know, what happens if I've heard God's voice and I thought, well, maybe that's not God. And we had a conversation about that and, you know, came up with a couple of things. If it's, if it's God, more than likely it's going to be in keeping with this book. And usually it's going to call, call you to do something you don't want to do. It's going to call you to stop and bless somebody. Slow your, your roll down a little bit. Get out in the car. Do something. That's probably the voice of God. Now here's what happens if you don't step into the guidance when he gives it to you. You will start diminishing the voice of God in your own life. He's going to keep speaking but it's going to continue to get distorted by your flesh and by Satan. Because he doesn't want you to recognize the voice of God. But the more you give yourself over to listening to that voice and stepping into it and praise, pressing into it, the more clear that voice will come. Far too many of us, when that voice comes, we do the same thing that Adam did. God, I, I don't want to do that, so I hid. We hide from God. We pull back. We make the very same mistake that Adam made in the garden. Right after his sin, he decided, I, the only thing I can do is hide from God. And that leads to the second word that I think is important to understand about experiences that we can have with God that help us show points to his nearness. And that's conviction. Conviction. This one oftentimes will have a little bit of twinge of pain connected to it will be sometimes a little a little difficult but it will never accuse you that's not the voice of God it will come in a voice that says no T turn around stop that direction in John 16 verse 8 Jesus told us that when the Holy Spirit comes that one of the things that he will do is he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. There's going to be conviction. There will be thoughts, sometimes with a little bit of pain. Never hopeless thoughts, but thoughts that say, stop going that way. Bring that out into the light. 
Turn around. Go, go, go the other direction. Call that friend that I've given you and tell them what's going on with you. Stop. That's the voice of God. Now this is the hardest part of God's presence with us to deal with. It, it, it really is. But it's a difficult truth that I believe is true about all of us. I know it's true about me. That there have been moments in my life where I have desired to hide from God. That I have looked at God and just said, God, right now I don't want to be in your presence. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard wrote a little parable. I don't know whether it's a true story or not. Um, but he tells this story about a two and a half year old named Larissa. Larissa was hanging out with her nana. And it says this, Larissa was enjoying water in the backyard with Nana. Nana greatly counseled her to water the purple flowers, but Larissa had just discovered when you pour water into dirt, you make mud. So she kept pouring the water in that small patch of dirt. Nana told her, don't put the water on the dirt because it makes mud and mud will get everything dirty. Well, mud was what it was that day for Larissa. She kept putting that mud, water on the dirt and made mud and then started putting mud on, in a tub nearby and she called it warm chocolate. Nana, who had been reading, facing in the opposite direction, turned and saw this. And she soon discovered, after she cleaned everything up, this mess, she started reading again. But this time she turned her chair so that she could see Larissa. But the little girl went ahead and resumed her warm chocolate routine. Sweetly saying to Nana, don't look at me, okay? Nana, of course, agreed and looked down at her reading. Apparently, Nana was codependent. Um, doesn't say, never, never mind. She said, don't look at me. Then Larissa would go back to making her mud and putting some back in the tub and then some more. But three times she said to her Nana, don't look at me. Okay? And then Dallas writes these words. He says, The tender soul of a little child show us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our doing of wrong. The adult soul carries this same burden. I believe that the most often prayed prayer in humanity even among God's chosen people, has been the prayer of, God, don't look at me. God, don't, don't look at me. See, darkness and evil, in order for it to have its way in our soul, has to have hiddenness. But it collapses when it's brought into the light, when it's brought into, into life with God. Let me show you how powerful this dynamic is. In the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us that when the day of judgment comes in Revelation chapter 6 verse 16, that people who had spent their whole lives praying, God, I'm going to hide from you. Don't look at me, God. That that's all they had ever prayed. They'd never invited God into their lives ever. That there's coming a day when they are going to, when God shows up in all of his fullness, in all of his power and all of his glory, there's going to come this day when they cry out in agony. They're going to call for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them so that they will be hidden from the awesome power of God. That, that's how intense this struggle is. 
That's, this is what it looks like. You know, I don't know where you're praying that prayer. See, that was, that was Adam's prayer. That was Adam's prayer that day. He basically said, God, don't look at me. I, I don't know in your life what's going on right now. Where, where you have been praying, God, don't look at me. You know, in order for somebody at work to do something to deliberately make a coworker look bad, they got to pray that prayer first. God, don't look at me. For, for somebody to continue making financial decisions over and over again that keeps them from being obedient to God so that they could become generous and giving back to God's kingdom work. They have to pray the prayer, God, don't look at me. For a student taking a final exam that's pretty essential that they pass to have this moment when they realize they could look on somebody else's paper. In order to look, they've got to pray the prayer, God, don't look at me. All throughout humanity, you can, you can see this. You know, a church attendee who wants to express, you know, bad judgment on somebody else or an unmarried couple that, you know, confesses that we're following Jesus but continues to sleep together. The person who's been through a bitter divorce instead of offering forgiveness decides, I want to hang on to resentment and self-righteousness. All of them, in order to live that way, have to pray the prayer, God, don't look at me. Now, we never say it out loud. We don't do that. We're not that stupid. We, we would never utter that prayer out loud. But we do it with our lives every day. I, I don't know all of your stories. Maybe you're here today and you've been pushing God back in some area of your life. Maybe you've been hiding for a long, long time. And what God is saying to you right now is change of prayer. What God is saying to you right now, change your prayer. Quit saying, don't look at me, and invite me in. And say, God, right now in the midst of my mess, in the midst of my self-righteousness, in the midst of my lust, in the midst of my whatever, God, look at me. That's what God says to us. He wants to look at us. He wants to be with us right, right in our mess. He wants to heal us. He wants to forgive us. But we've got to pray the prayer. God, will you be with me here? God, look at me. God, look at my anger. God, look at my addiction. God, look at my pride. God, look at my junk. God, look at me. That's the prayer that God waits on all of us to pray. Maybe... Maybe today, whatever that might be for you, wherever you've been praying, God, don't look at me. Maybe God wants you to, to say out loud to him in a defining way, God, look at me here. And maybe the way you want to do that before you leave this place is you may want to write it on a piece of paper and put it on one of the crosses. God, look at me here. I need you, God. I don't want to continue on this way. But here's what I can promise you. If you will do that, you will have the greatest experience, which is, I believe, the fourth experience that points to the nearness of God in your life, and it's joy. It's joy. There is nothing like the presence of God. In fact, I believe joy is the default experience for the believer who is living a spiritually healthy life. 
you will experience unimaginable joy. A joy that you can't understand. Now sometimes you are going to be afraid and you're going to need reassurance. Sometimes you're going to be confused and you're going to need guidance. Sometimes you're going to, you know, you're going to be stuck in something. You're going to be in that prayer of hiding and you're going to need conviction. But mostly, most of the time, the response of the presence of God in the life of his children is joy. When you're spiritually healthy, you're going to experience the joy of the Lord in ways you couldn't imagine. In Matthew chapter 11, Matthew records a statement that Jesus made to a group of people who had rejected him. They had rejected him. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, what will I compare this generation to? We played the flute for you. And you did not dance. You did not dance. See, mostly, when God is near, the expression of his presence should lead you to dance. Now, I know some of you are old school Baptists, so just think of it as rhythmic moving, okay? But God wants your heart to dance. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to experience the beauty and wonder of God. Maybe that can happen for you in the next moment when our, our youth band comes back up to lead us and singing God with us. Maybe your soul is just going to be captured by the beauty of God saying, I want to look at you even there. Maybe your heart will just soar there. Or maybe it won't be in worship in a moment. Maybe it'll be when you get in your car and you're driving home and that song comes on and man, you're just jamming out. You're singing and you're dancing. You're just being a, you know, a, a, a complete fool. You know? It's joy. Or maybe you'll be riding the car next to that person and you'll get great joy out of watching them. You know? But the, the greatest experience of God's nearness for his children is joy. And God wants to give you and me that. Maybe, maybe it'll come tomorrow when you're at work. And you'll, you'll, you'll do something. You'll engage in a project and you'll step back. And you'll have that same experience that God had at day one and day two and day three of when he created. You'll look at that and say, it's good. And joy will come into your heart. Because that's what walking with God is. It's an echo of who he is. Some of you will see a sunset or, or a flower or the face of a friend or the face of a grandbaby. And you will experience the joy of God. And you'll feel gratitude sometimes that you can't explain. And it's the joy of God. Friends, when that happens, God is near you. And here's the way I love to think about it because Jesus said it. God is playing his flute for you. Will you dance? Will you experience the unhindered, uncluttered joy of the Lord? Because he's near. He's near you. Because he wants to be. Let's pray. Father, we come agreeing and knowing that there are times, Father, when what we need as your children is we need your reassuring voice. And we come thanking you, God, that you have chosen not to give up on us, but to, God, to reassure us when we're afraid. We come, some of us, God, because we're at the moment, we're at a crossroads. We, we need guidance. We need that voice so that we can be, once again, reassured of your nearness. We need an answer from you, God. So we come. 
God, all of us at some point in our lives have prayed the prayer, don't look at me. God, some of us have been praying that prayer for a long time. Maybe some of us prayed it last night. And you, in your sweet, loving ways, as God our Father wants us to hear you say today, please tell me to look at you right now, right where you're at, where you're stuck. Because I'll shed light on it and I'll bring healing and hope. And I will turn your grief, your sorrow, your shame, I'll turn that into joy if you'll let me. Because that's what he wants to give you in your walk with him. He wants you to experience great joy. And so maybe in the next moment when we give, you're going to give experiencing the joy of the Lord because God's word tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. And the thought of what you give, spreading the good news that God loves, that people matter, that God wants people to know that they can pray, God, look at me. Maybe the joy of that will set your heart to dancing. Maybe the, the song that we sing about God with us to remind us that we will just celebrate will make your heart dance. I don't know what it is for you today, but God is calling you to some decision to follow him in a new, fresh way. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.